This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Sensing Bros, a program about whānau, well-being and personal growth. This program is about natural buzz. There's a group of us brothers who are living alcohol and drug free and we want to share our stories and celebrate the things that are going right in the world. There's a lot of negativity. We're about positivity. We come from diverse cultural backgrounds, Samoan, Tongan, Māori, and we just want to share the love. Welcome to um, Sensing Brews. And uh, today I'm really excited to be talking to a brother who's, um, whose experiences in life you can... Hello, Bella. You see it with Bella? Beautiful daughter. Anyway, how old? Six? Ah, eight, eight weeks. Eight weeks old. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, so welcome, Bella. Welcome, Mark. Um, just before we um, start, just so for those who are listening, um, we're going to cover a whole lot of things today, and um, it's a free-flowing conversation. Mark has been through the fires of life, um, and uh, it's probably quite a good place to start, eh, bro? Before, yeah. So welcome, man, and thanks very much. Thank you, thank you, Phil, for having me. And, yeah, what a way to start with uh, Bella disputing my shoe. Oh, there you go. And I'm just, yeah, wiping some spew off my shoe. <laughs> nah, but it is a pleasure, bro, to uh, sitting here with you, connecting, yeah. sensing bros. We're just doing baby talk at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry, guys. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, um... Mr. Talanoa. Mm-hmm. Beautiful name, by the way. Thank you, bro. Yeah. Um, where did it all begin? Oh, so back childhood. Yep. Yeah, bro. So born and raised in uh, Glenlinus, East Auckland. Uh, Mum and dad migrated from Tonga. Uh, found themselves in East Auckland. Uh, raised in a family of well, seven siblings, bro. Nice. Yeah, three brothers and four sisters. So there's eight of us. Where are you in that? I'm like kind of, I'm the fifth. Yes, bro, yeah. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the chosen one, I'm right in there. The fifth, it's the chosen one. <laughs> I'm the chosen one. Oh, I what I'd like to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was the first. <laughs> yeah, but, so yeah, grew up in a, uh, you know, crazy chaotic sort of household dynamics. Uh, Glenness, little Glenness. Uh, yeah, childhood was... Now that I look back at it as a child, was I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have much. We didn't. Need, we didn't need much. And yeah, mum had a pretty uh, parenting style was pretty uh, one-sided. <laughs> to Maybe. say <laughs> No, you don't have to say it, man. I can just her side only. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> yeah. So raised in the. the... Oh, sorry, it's all good, Karen. Yeah. No. Okay. So raised in the Christian church, uh, Methodist, a sort of sector of Christianity. Uh, Mum was the Bible studies sort of uh, uh, 
lady, she was in charge of the Bible study. So, yeah, we were kind of uh, forced to go to church and uh, Dad was a bit of a womanizer. Yeah, yeah, Dad used to, uh, I guess, uh, party a lot and uh, play around with Mum. And I remember from childhood, one of our prayers used to be, uh, pray Daddy uh, that Dad stops beer, stops drinking beer. That was it. Wow. For years, bro, for years, years. And eventually wow. that came to a fruition and Dad stopped, stopped drinking for a long time. Uh, but your mum was just coping, uh, you know, working two jobs, just trying to make ends meet. Uh, I was pretty much raised with my aunties and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. And that was sort of, yeah, mm. how I was sort of raised. How was school, like, for you? School, yeah. School was... Because you went to school in GI? Yes, uh, Pemua. So I went Pemua. to, yeah, Tamaki Primary School. Yeah, Tamaki to me. Yeah, I was pretty good at school, bro. And love school, mate. Love school, love being at school. Uh, try to do all my best in my classes and all that stuff. I was pretty good at sports and uh, was always a, uh, a prefect. Mm. Sort of, yeah, yeah. You had that um, kind of confidence, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just feel that like I've always been a born leader, bro. Yeah, there you go. Born leader, I was, I was born, born to... I'm not the one to follow a pack, or, or have uh, in the past, but I'm always trying to uh, trying to lead. Mm. Yeah. Where did that come from? That sense. I've, I've, yeah. I think it has something to do with my old uh, core belief, which was uh, I've never been good enough, never been worthy enough, you know. Wow. And that was. I actually unpacked that core belief while I was in prison, bro, doing a program on CBT. Yeah. And realised that, yeah, I was always just trying to prove myself. I was always just um, trying to do my best to fit in. Because when I was, I think it stems from when I was a young kid, not knowing what I know now, mum and dad used to be out working and trying to provide for us. And obviously I left, left with my auntie. And so I was still out thinking, hey, like... You give me off to auntie and she's looked after me. And then you just want me back. So I kind of thought we were, I was given away. But then I was So you back. interpreted it as Yes, bro, that was my experience. But now that I've... Kind of like abandoned. Yes. Ooh, and then, and what actually affirmed it even more, I don't know about it, affirmed it, but was seeing my, old, my older brother, Patuli, always getting presents. Like my own. Because kind of in the online culture, I don't know, Tom culture though. He's always like a favourite, you know, yeah, yeah. My, my, yeah. my dad's. There's always a Joseph fan. <laughs> yeah, so my brother, he was my brother's um, older than me. My aunties and they used to buy like all the toys and all the, and I used to ask my mum, like, why, what about me? Why am I getting treated different? And I used to get left at home a few times. But this is just my, I guess, experience. Like, mum and dad used to just leave me at home. And everyone else to go. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, wow. Why am I getting left behind? So... I think that has a part to do why I, I try to, uh, I guess, prioritise trying to you know, be be a be a leader. Yeah. Do you? So you ha- do you feel that you that approval you know that wasn't there at all or wasn't there enough? Do you know how some people sort of they 
they sort of feel that that becomes the overriding sense mm. of their life and family that they're never ever gonna get that. I was always trying to chase my my father's approval, my dad's. Yeah, because my dad, and I find it it's kind of rubbing off on me. Uh, that sort of trait, all that. It's sort of rubbing off on me and how I uh, parent my stepson. Where my father, I'll give you a bit of background my father. You know, my father's always been my hero, you know. Be thankful for him and mum travelling all the way from Dyer yeah. to, you know, give us more opportunity here. And my dad, he was that type that nothing was ever good enough, eh? Like, yeah. bro, I'll, 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 I'll be playing sports and I'll score like three tries. <laughs> bro, why'd you miss that tackle? The one the thing is you didn't get right out. I was like, bro, we like I got MVP, you know, we won the game, three tries. Mm. You missed that tackle. But at the same on the same token it's made me uh it's kind of made me more I guess aware of like trying to trying to be better, trying to always be better, always be better, always be better. Because I guess that's a positive about it, but yeah, it has sort of affected me over my like 32 years I'm 32 years of age wow um, just always seeking that approval because you strike me as someone you you like to not just do things well you like you've sort of got this excellence drive you want to be excellent at it yeah <coughs> is it <coughs> excuse my golf I did cough into my elbow <laughs> people COVID um, bro COVID man um, so that where do you think your father got that from? He's just that generational sort of yeah, uh, you know his his dad learned from his dad and his dad his dad and just passed down the chain and then uh, I guess coming to uh, you know New Zealand yeah, I'm trying to make sense of oh, how how they sort of work here like finding work and then getting introduced to all these uh, other distraction substances and. You know, a lot more ladies, and mm. I don't know if that played a part in it, but bro, it's like that generation. It became part of the pleasure-seeking crowd. Eh? You know, it's just an island style of rock and roll, man. Right? Do, do you think? I think that because it was the same with me, my father and my uncles and all that. Yeah. They just went like, in the house, eh? Yeah. You know, and then they mellowed out. Yes, on the older age. In their yeah. older age, they began to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're we're like the guinea pigs. Yes. Yes. So yes. <laughs> they, they get the good they get the good side of that, but nah, he's, he was always a better uh, a grandfather than he was a, a father. Mm. You know, I see how he deals with all my nieces and nephews and yeah. It's good to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not that first bit, but the fact that you know, he's doing the grandfather. Yeah. Ah, he's he's a good man. He's a good man. Oh, cool. Yeah. And your mum? They just all together? Yes, yes. Uh, my mum's just a very hard, stubborn, uh, driven lady full of ideas. And she's, yeah, she's. So I, she's a leader too, eh? Yeah, yeah bro. I, I think I get more of my, the leadership traits from my mum. Yep. <clears throat> and I see that my dad's more of a laid back sort of character. Uh, with my mum, she's just, she's hungry, bro. She's just. She's a go-getter, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I love my mum, and we always, always kind of butt heads with mum, you know. Um, so I always challenge her on a lot of her her perceptions on 
this reality in life uh, that's handed down from, you know, she's been taught that, you know, the old traditions and culture and customs, you know, you have to do it this way. And then I always used to, from a young age, always to challenge her, like, why? But why? You know, why do we have to do, why do we have to go to church? Why do we have to work in these jobs? Why do we have, I always, why, why, like, shut up! Just sit there, you ask too much questions. <laughs> uh, but no, beautiful woman, uh, very strong and, um, yeah, driven, hungry lady, eh? Um, but you, you have different um, fundamental beliefs about God, eh? Yes. Or yes. Just, just that whole narrative? Yeah. Yeah. We can talk more about that, bro. Yeah. 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 So we can, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Can okay. we travel through to you going to Australia? Yes. All right, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so growing up in the, um, East Auckland, Glenness, a lot of our, uh, sort of my experience was uh, there's gang activity, and but that's all we knew. We knew the streets, you know. If you want something, you go get it. You steal, you rob, you steal cars, uh, you rob shops from young age. And then all my mentors, role models, were all um, full of criminals, thugs. Mm. And that's all they knew. So we were just following the older boys, you know. What do you do? Do you want something? You bash someone, jump on the head, you you take. Because we didn't have much, so we'd go and steal. So mum sort of seen us uh, heading down this path uh, and intervened, sent us to Wesley College, mm. a boarding school. Went there five days, but then we'll come back on the weekends and we'll play with the boys. So 13 years of age, drinking and, you know, um, yeah, 13 years now, I look back at it, I was very young. Uh, and then we'll go out and just, you know, get caught up in um, antisocial behaviour. And so my mum intervened once again, and I was 14, put us on a one-way ticket to Australia. Sydney, Australia, we get there, big smoke, you know. Um, me and my brother walks down Bondo Beach, and, you know, we see sand on sand for the first time, waves, and then we see topless ladies, eh? Mm. We're like, bro, this Wait, is, what's happened, bro? This is not <laughs> bad at all. <laughs> yeah. 14 years of age. Yeah. yeah so man. we go, we land in Sydney. Uh, 2004, uh, Chuck uh, ran into a school for scholarship because we I was always good at playing um, rugby. You know, very talented. I played Auckland 14s, Royal Mills. It's like 11s and 12s, 13s. So then, obviously, I was in a transition over the league. So I stopped playing Union, play league. Yeah. Uh, and we stayed with our auntie, Auntie Katie. Uh, went to school there, played league, played through all the junior grades of uh, Roosters. My brother went to opposing uh, the, the rivals, South Sydney Rebels, and he um, he went on to play first grade at the age of 17, bro. I was still at school. Oh, yeah. I was always the most talented one, and I, I tell everyone this, and he knows this, but he was the more disciplined one. There you go. Um, he was just, you know, he'll, he'll go home on, on the weekends after training and do his recovery and rehab and, and eat right, and then, but I'll be going out partying, bro age of 15, 16, but once my brother, because he's two years older than me, once he cracked first grade, I thought, oh shit, that pressure from the family, you got to make it now. It's real, Tools made it at 17. Yeah. So I kind of buckled to the, the, the pressure, because uh, I played New South Wales, uh, 18, played junior Kiwis, represented New Zealand, schoolboys, so I was pretty talented, but then as soon as Tuli, um, Cracked first grade, I was like that family pressure. And then I just started self sabotaging, hey, bro, drinking, drugs, girls, going out, getting injured, 
then it was like, we go back to that core belief. Oh, you're not good enough. So all this self-sabotage was just, uh, uh, what's the word? It's not reaffirming. Uh, reinforcing. Reinforcing. That's reinforcing my core belief, which is I'm not good enough. So then I'll get injured, and then all of a sudden, at age 21, I threw in the towel. I said, no, if this. Mm-hmm. Bro, I'm done with this. You know, I don't want to play footy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go join a gang and sell drugs. And that's what I did, bro. So, see, this is interesting. What was that giving you? Uh, that the footy wasn't no longer going to get you. What was the reward of selling drugs over the gain of of doing well in footy? Pleasure. Yeah. It was a pleasure as well. Yeah. At the same time... The so you were drugging a lot? Drugging or drinking? Drugging. Yeah, drugging. yeah. yeah. Both, both. Yes. <clears throat> so as soon as... If we backtrack a little bit, as soon as we stopped yeah. playing footy, I was like, nah, what do I do now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a nightclub. Wow. So I went in partnership with a uh, my business partner who was uh, who's doing well. So I was like, nah, he knows what he's doing. I'm team up with him. I like drinking, I like drugs, I like girls. Started a business uh, nightclub promotions uh, company. Promote events. So the age of 21, yeah. had two nightclubs <clears throat> um, that I was promoting, which was doing very well. Had all this money, all this time, and I had a shitload of drugs because I decided to join a gang as well. Probably just <laughs> yeah, bro. Probably, probably just to replace that uh, uh, that camaraderie, that belonging yep. in the footy uh, sort of context. Yeah, that uh, that culture, and so I joined the gang, and then I've got all these drugs, all this money, all this time. 21 years old, bro, recipe for disaster. Um, so then, yeah, I, that's when my life kind of went on a downward spiral. Uh, introduced to meth, mm. the age of 21. Mm. That first hit, gone. Mm. Longest binge, two weeks. Two weeks, bro. Now I've got a little bubble, I struggle to stay up for one day. Yes. Yes, how things <laughs> change, man. <laughs> How things have changed. Eh? Yes, brother. So two weeks was my longest binge. Uh, that put me into like a, a rapid, down, quick downward spiral where I went into my first drug-induced psychosis. Uh, and that led me going and um, committing a number of crimes. I you know, regret very much. Mm. Uh, and out of paranoia, I had a, um, a disagreement with a good friend of mine who was in the club as well. Mm. And, yeah, had guns, you know, had guns, on drugs, half drugs, boom, think the worst. And because, now that I think about it now, now that I, because when I was young, we are programmed to, as someone um, um, comes in and, 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 and abuses you or, you know, mm. assaults you or whatever, you, you retaliate with as much, you know, ruthlessness mm. as you can. So then as soon as, yeah, it was that fight or flight mode, eh? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so well, I did what I had to do and grabbed a couple of guns and uh, went on a bit of a rampage and that's when I was entered, that's when I entered another chapter where I uh, was locked up. Mm. Um, so that's when I was put in prison at age of 22 for five and a half years and then we enter a new... So, so from 21, <clears throat> that year, man... Bro, it was just erratic. Crazy, eh? Crazy. Crazy. And then 22, you put inside for five years. 
22 well, I he got did five years did you get yeah, yeah. I got 22 years um, years of age I got sentenced with nine and a half years yeah so 2021 so I, I just finished my parole if I was still in Australia in March that would have been oh. my nine year that would have been my nine and a half years served five and a half years in jail and then I entered a whole different different chapter that's just fueled with bro more drugs I was introduced to a lot more drugs in jail <laughs> and Tell us, man, just say it because that's like what people don't realize like, is that prison isn't a rehab, bro. It's 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 a unit. I I see it as a it's a university for for criminals. Yeah. And you're, I, this is probably my experience in my five and a half years. I'd say ninety five percent of 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 boys in there were on drugs, and on a lot. Not just we're not just talking about weed. You know, heroin, ice, pills, coke. Bro, you know, on a constant daily basis. And, yeah, then you then you come look back and like, oh, rehabilitation. You're meant to, corrections. You're meant to be in prison to be corrected. But, and then, then you see the links with the recidivism rates and reoffending rates. Way higher. How, how, how much is it here? 70? 70%? <coughs> I haven't I looked at the last... Figures, but I'll have a look, bro. Yeah, yeah. Because um, like a lot of the people that I work with, hey, it's the story, man. And then coming out and then trying to find your way back into some sort of straight life, and you're carrying with you the coping mm. strategies, which yes, of which drugs has been a biggie. Yes, you know, and you're trying to reintegrate and re- and, and um, it's tough, eh? It's like. The people that I work with, I've got great admiration if that's been their journey. Um, because there's a lot of stuff, there's sort of other barriers that you have to go through when you get out that are, exclude that from that um, getting your life back together again and writing a chapter again. Mm-hmm. But we can talk, cause you, because you've journeyed there, right? Yeah. You're living that um, life, like that road that mm. you mentioned, the road to redemption. Yes. You, you know, and at 32, like, um, oh, you just keep telling your story, bro, and we'll come back. Okay. Because it inspires me, eh, to see someone, a young man like you, holding your baby. who's got to <laughs> sleep, everybody. Yeah. Peaceful, peaceful sleep. Yes. He's journeyed there, you know. Yeah, so while I was in prison, a lot of uh, realisations, you know, I took a lot of uh, things, I guess, uh, from that experience. And I did a lot of things in there, seen a lot of things in there, bro. I I kind of see a lot of men in there, especially from Pacific Islander backgrounds, that we're just uh, young men uh, that haven't unpacked that trauma. Mm. Haven't unpacked that trauma. And we're just, we're just masking of drugs and then... Bro, because there was some violence going on in there, bro. It was, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff I've seen in there was and did in there. Um, you can just imagine, you know, a whole yard full of uh, users off their faces, having slept for three days, and yeah, mm. bro, it's it's yeah, brutal, eh? It's yeah, it's, it's sad uh, that it's still happening now because I still keep the boys over there. Anyways, while I was in there, Phil, I. Um, yeah, kept dropping in, obviously, on ice, kept dropping in, kept dropping in. And then I went into my second psychosis on the, my last six months. 
uh, and that put me into it's called the high dependency unit at Silverwood, Silverwater in uh, Sydney. That's uh, where they put like eight of ten of the most mentally unstable uh, inmates there, and I couldn't believe, or even the guards couldn't believe, in order. Nor did my mates couldn't believe I ended up there. Wow! But I thought I was, I was mentally there. So to paint a sort of picture for my mental state is that I was, you know, worshiping the devil, you know, upside down crosses, six six six, all seeing eye, you name it, was in my hand, was in my books, or was on my cell, all over the walls, or going around the yard, you know, um, doing some very violent things to other mates, and uh, wasn't sleeping at all. You know, I'll sleep for two hours and get up and get this burst of energy, bro. And yeah, um, fantasizing about, you know, killing people and murdering people and eating people too, bro. Oh, man. Eating people, eh? It was just that urge. It was. That's know, dark. That's pretty dark, eh? Oh, dude. That's like. Did it feel like you or something telling you to do no, stuff? No, no, it felt like me, bro. Yeah. It was felt like me, but this is this is, this is the point I make now that you've said that. I I I, I opened the, the door to, to to Satan and to the devil, whatever you want to call yeah. it, and yeah. welcomed me with open arms. Come in, brother. Did you come in and oh, gave me wow. all this the sense of power, oh, the sense of power that I yeah. thought I had. Like I'd be there in the yard, and I'll just be like, boom, this is gonna happen. Boom, I'll say it, bang, happens. Like this amount of power that I was just seeing, you know, right before my eyes. And then it's like he welcomed me with open arms and all of a sudden when I was in that cell, boom, he's like, now I've got you, you're trapped, like, and that put me into another darker, darker place than I, I thought I was already in. So I'm in that high dependency unit, 666 all over the walls, they've dosed me up with antipsychotics, yep. um, they couldn't get the, 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 uh, the pills right or the medication because it was just made me more erratic, bro. And I wasn't sleeping. Like, all this sedative stuff is meant to, you know, bring you back to baseline. Uh, and then uh, after eight weeks, they finally got the right um, medication, like Agnol. And this is where I got to a point where I wanted to take my life away. Mm. I was done. I was, and I still remember to this day the, the feeling of knowing that oh, six months left. I've got to hold on, like, I've got to hold on. I'm in this, this mm. dry, uh, medical um, cell, two cameras, um, both ends, uh, just got a flap. Uh, just felt so lonely, eh? Mm. And so far away from the world. you got the psychs and the psychologists and doctors and nurses coming up and down, checking on you. Mm. And that's when I told you the other day, that urge to, to end my life. Mm. But I'm sitting there on the, on the edge of the bunk, looking at that photo of my mum and uh, dad and my baby sister mm. I knew there was a razor blade on top of the, the bank and I was like the voices this is what got me Phil the mm. voices just do it do it you're not good enough back to that cool belief no oh, man it's like a curse eh? bro you're not good enough just do it just do it it was like speaking to me eh? and I was just like fighting 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 but then I was lucky I, I called out bro I just broke down and that's the first time I've had like a conversation with God, like an actual real, you know, if you're there, if you, if you are who you say you are, reveal yourself, like, heal me, please, like, I was begging, mm. just like that, eh? The voices? Bruh, divine, just, boom, stop. 
there's a sense. I didn't. He didn't say anything, or God didn't say or do anything. It was just, bro, like a calmness. Of, gone. All the voices stopped. Just and then I started breaking down, bro. I was just like, shit. Like, thank you. I'm, I'm gonna make it. And I started getting up and scrubbing off all the, you know, six 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 and upside down. Because even the nurses and the psychs, bro, they were like, bro, what's going on with you? Like, yeah. But that was my. Uh, sort of experience with God eh? and ever since that day I was like nah do you know what I'm going to get out and I'm going to I'm going to make a difference wow and that was the last six months so yeah and then after that you back to New Zealand yeah so uh, as soon as my five and a half years uh, finished I was still on the medication because I tried to go cold turkey and then it just had the reverse effect um, you got a taper, eh? Yes, bro. Yes, and I don't yeah. believe that because I've always been that person that not if I want to stop saying yeah. gold turkey. Yeah. But then that adverse effect, and then so I got back on my medication, and then yeah, bro, three thirty they woke me up in the morning, uh, September the 29th, two thousand and seventeen, and sorry, uh, March uh, 29, twenty nine, two thousand seventeen, uh, straight into the Serco, uh security uh, truck, straight to the airport, bro. In, yeah. the, in the cells, what do you want? McDonald's, of course. So, yeah, bro. <laughs> Ordered a hunger buster, two of them. Smashed that, and then, yeah, bro, pretty much straight into chains, handcuffed, straight into the plane. Mm. So I'm going from prison, bro. Mm. Not just going out to the community, out into society. It's like, yep, you've been here for 14 years in Australia. You've done your five and a half years prison. You get in this truck, boom, let's just get you get, get out of here. Handcuff you, put you on the plane. You're a 501, you're not one in this country. Um, so I landed, in, I landed in Christchurch, and we decided to come to... I'm from Auckland. Mm. Never been in Christchurch. But that's... Bro, and it was only fitting April. Yeah. Come to Christchurch, the rebuilding. Yeah, bro. Um, this, this is my city. I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm rebuilding as well. And, um, yeah, it's a funny story, bro. So I get off the plane. First thing I want to do is, uh, bro, get some alcohol. I just want to have a drink, bro. So I went to Judy Free, go... Grab two bottles, and um, so I get down the, the sort of runway, and then there's a police officer waiting there for me. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you serious, bro? Yeah. So yeah, so as soon as he seen me, he's like, come, you need, because um, what we got told in Australia is that we're free once we get in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. It's over, there's no it's system over. stuff. Yeah. But no, that wasn't the case, so I get here, and surprisingly, because I had a, always had a problem with authority, uh, of police, uh, this this uh, this policeman just had a different vibe about him. Man, there's, there's there's a big difference between the culture of police that we have in New Zealand mm. compared to uh, Sydney, or my experience anyway. And he's like, "Oh, bro, you, you probably won't you won't be allowed that um, alcohol in there." And I was like, "Oh," and he's like, "Oh, because it'll probably be in your um, you know uh, conditions." So what he did, bro, he grabbed the, my alcohol and he really found my wallet and he gave it to my wife. Yes, bro. Wow. So straight away, I was just already, I was just like, hold on, I'm meant to, you know, be like butting heads with you, but. He's you, actually helping bro, you. you just helped me out. Like, what? So then straight away, I was just like, hold on, man. that's a different vibe already. And then, yeah, sit down with my, um. Yeah, yeah, crazy, eh? Probation officer, and, uh, yeah, yeah, my, my probation, well, two years probation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, did what I had to do. 
Uh, and yeah, so that starts a new chapter in the road to redemption, bro, began 2017. Man, so CBT, did that begin here or was that... No, over in... Over where you were in? in I was prison. in prison doing uh, my... Um, uh, there was a program, IDAP it's called, and it's, yeah, biggest focus, the framework is CBT. Yeah. And bro, I, uh, I used to always go there and like just, uh, like question my facilitators, like, what are you talking about? telling us about thoughts and feelings and all this rubbish and you know but then I didn't and because bro we'll sit around the group bro Phil and yeah. we'll be talking about some deep things yeah. but I couldn't sit in the group I'd have to get up and like bro take off like it was hitting the heart bro like wow. penetrating my heart all these wow. the stuff that we're unpacking eh? I was just like and because I was still on the um, on the drugs on the ice boom will hit even deeper and then I'll just nah Try to like put my walls up and yeah, if you the facilitators, mm. this is that, and then I'll have to go do laps just to calm myself down. Mm. And then slowly they're just peeling those layers, eh? Unpacking that trauma, bro. I think that's important, that bit where it's like your your willingness to hear and your readiness to hear and stuff. Yeah, like bro. Heck. When you're I, I, that, that's a good point you make. When you're ready to like hear, uh, there's a there's a, there's like a uh, quote on me, like the master will appear. Yeah. When you're ready to hear, bro, and that's like those teachers and those preachers that I, those facilitators were helping me, and they, I love them, eh? They're like, um, and they loved, you know, I, I actually passed the, passed the course because I was just playing the game, and then I became a mentor in the, in the, um, in that program. Um, but yeah, now that I think back to CBT, I was like, wow, that's right, man. That's all that stuff was so useful, and I, I use it to this day, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, so we land here in 2017, no, knew no one, uh, and that's the reason why we moved here, you know, fresh, uh, clean, clean slate. My girlfriend at the time, uh, that's why I married her, Australian, uh, beautiful woman. That's the only thing I stole from Australia, bro. <laughs> I didn't go even with, bro. <laughs> I took one of their most, you know, precious beings and, and, and brought her over here. So yeah, she, she came here two weeks before me with my mother-in-law, God bless them. And set up, got a house, got a car, uh, you know, got me, you know, kick-started off to a, um, on the front foot. Man. And that's why I believe that even though I did have that support, uh, you know, going from Australia to New Zealand, but I feel for a lot of people when they're transitioning, deportees or just coming out of the system, they don't even have that support, bro. No. I, I, I fell for that guy on Monday, you know, that dude bought him. Oh, my father's barber. When we, oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. 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 Yeah, I've just yeah. been deported. And yeah, like, oh, and you're oh, Yeah, yeah. I wish I'd had a chat with him afterwards, um, but then I had gone. I just, I, you just felt for that, yeah. like, that sense of lostness. Eh? Yes, you can feel it, eh? Yeah, energy. but I thought about you too. Yeah. Because I remember when you shared your story, yeah, about the deep, and you'll, um, um, yeah. Oh, I hope he comes to the next one. Yes, I've got on him for you and just... That's what I reckon, man. Bro, just he did, surrounding himself straight in that... Straight away, eh? Um, yeah, for those who are listening who don't know, every every month, Matt Brown um, hosts uh, a peer men support group at his barbershop in Rickett and and, um, and Mark, Mark has spoken to our group and comes along to the group as well. So, anyway, coming back to... They've got here, they've set up, they've been here two weeks. You've come off the plane, you were at the police 
policeman who has a different vibe. Yes. Yes. Different. Well, friendly, alright, I'd say. Bro, just not so just, much just human. Not, not so punitive. I, yeah. I, 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 that's when I, that's when I hit you, bro. Straight up. I do want to say something about that, man, because they're out to get you. Yeah. It's this one-upmanship, and yeah. I'm, I'm on the right side of the law, yeah, therefore yeah. I, I am the better power. than you. I got the power. No wonder it's... You listen to me, you peasant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, that's not okay, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> if you treat our deep-bodies better, man. <laughs> it's a really yeah. annoying. It's, yeah. it's sad. I, I do... Look, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I shouldn't have got deported, bro. They have every right. I was only in the country for seven years. I was playing up. I wasn't abiding by the law. Fair enough. Get rid of me. All good. Uh, but a lot of my my friends um, that that have that have been raised there, bro, from like three years old, I, just, I do believe they should treat it circumstantial. Everyone's case is different. Yeah. But that blanket approach, just get rid of them. Get rid of the problem and let the New Zealand deal with them. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're a little bit more on this side of the. The, the, the ocean um, uh, we have a, a kinder approach yes anyway I know you yeah. don't see yourself as a victim Mike. No, I know you no. don't so so how did you then go from arriving to settling in what happened next oh so settling in the bar was like the first six months oh I didn't like it here Coming from being in Oz and just a fast, that fast pace, you know, you're always doing something, always doing something. But come back. To a city, rebuilding, eh? Rebuilding, no job, no CV, no qualifications. I'd start again and didn't know anyone, no friends, you know. But me and my wife, you know, it was just, just us two, a girl, girlfriend, boyfriend at the time. Mm. And yeah, so we come back. Uh, I knew I had to. Uh, get those qualifications up, bro. My CV had zero on it, so I had to upskill. I went and done a little labouring jobs here and there, odd jobs, security. Uh, but then I studied uh, part-time, went and done my personal training certificate. Yeah. So that t- took me nine months, you yeah. know. Important yeah. to get something on my... Just something, eh? Just need some experience on there. Went and done volunteer work uh, for a service, uh, Bros for Change. Uh, oh, James, yes, yes. This is my brother. Yes. Um, him and uh, Ben Murray, Jay Pookie Pookie. I went there for six weeks and, um, you know, just volunteered my time because I knew that was important. If I wanted to go down that path, you know, got to volunteer your time, uh, get more qualifications under my belt. And I did uh, personal training out of my mate's gym at Peak Sports Performance. And then uh, from a conversation I had with a client, you always wanted to do my carpentry ticket, bro. Yeah. Always. But yeah. I didn't. My mum wouldn't let me drop out Hey, at 16 years of age. So when in labour, what do you have to do? Go and sweep the floors for... 12 months straight, I'm just picking up rubbish, sweeping floors, squeegee floors. I knew eventually that I'll get picked up. Yeah, someone picked me up. Mm-hmm. I just keep showing up, keep mm-hmm. being persistent, constant, every day, turn up to work. And then, yeah, it came 12 months later uh, with the company that I'm with now, South Based Labour, uh, which yeah, signed me up in 2018, I think it was. And uh, yeah, gave me a full time role. And that's my first full time role ever, bro. Job ever. So that was a blessing, uh, you know, um, for them to take me on. And yeah, wow. I'm in three wow. years into my carpentry apprenticeship. I am doing a lot of talks in that now too. So I have um, 
it's kind of funny because I, I didn't plan or envision to, you know, go down this path that I'm going down now with Road to Redemption. I just wanted to get out and, you know, still have fun, still do a few shady things on the side. And then it wasn't until I started um, speaking my truth, this mm. is what I, uh, this is kind of a saying that I try to live up to is inspire change by speaking your truth. And no two truths are the same. Everyone's truth is your truth. Uh, and I sat in the back of my uh, my car on Smoko Break, bro. And I just put on the camera on record and started talking about um, getting deported and uh, that time when I was in the mental health wing and being addicted to methamphetamine. And as soon as that, um, wow, come on. I became vulnerable and started speaking my truth. Mm-hmm. You give other people permission to start healing and unpacking mm. uh, their, their, whatever they're going through, whether substance abuse, jail, prison, I don't know, just whatever they're going through, you allow other people eh, to, to, when you put yourself in a vulnerable position and I put it out there and the response was, oh, it was awesome. People just DMing me about, oh, how I, um, how they're going, how they can relate, bro. Yeah. I'm going yeah. through this. I know someone who's going through this. Uh, my partner's in jail and, and as soon as I've seen the, the impact of that, I was thinking, yeah, there's there's, there's 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 my impact there. There's my purpose. I want to help people with with what I've gone through. If I can just share it, and it can help someone, why wouldn't I do it? So I've been sharing it on my social media platforms, on Instagram and, and Facebook, and uh, so slowly opportunities started to come with even with my company, South Based Construction. Uh, they told me um, it was a year ago from my performance review today. Uh, they my boss told my construction manager that I do talks on mental health and well-being. And mm-hmm. He's like, sweet, we're going to fly you up to Auckland and mm-hmm. speak to men, our massive university side. So I was up there speaking to about 30 subcontractors on my road to redemption about, uh, you know, childhood yeah, trauma awesome. and, awesome, um, you know, unpacking that childhood trauma and rock bottoms and uh, prison and, you know, how have you been challenged in life and what helped you get through it. Uh, and then, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, spoke in front of 1,500 school students at Ashburton, uh, sharing my journey as well. And then a few more opportunities have arised um, to go into um, youth residences, bro. So that's where my heart's at. And, yeah, I want to go into uh, juveniles and prisons and, and, yeah, roll out a program that's going to help our brothers come out and transition, bro, back into society. But... Come out and stay out, you know. I see a lot of my brothers feel, bro, in and out, in and out, in and out, like frequent flyers. But, and then I, I, I kind of, I talk to them and like, it's easy for me to see, like, bro, you've done your prison. Why would you want to go back? But that's my, I've come to that place. Um, but that's what I want for them. That's my purpose, bro. My mission is to help youth and my brothers and sisters in the system come out and stay out. Come out and stay out, bro. What are some of the reasons that keep them in that cycle <clears throat> that you see? It's a lot of, there's a lot of factors. Uh, environment, uh, the, the friends they hang around with, um, their own mental battles, their own trauma. Uh, they don't have the right tools. They don't have the right support. Mm. Yeah, bro, we could go on and on. Mm. We can go on and on. But I do believe if if they if they come to that place while they're in prison, they really want to change, 
and they come to that place, like I said, the, as soon as as soon as you're ready, you know the the messenger or the preacher or the teacher or the master will appear. Bro, um, there's like two things. Can your fa- family up north now? Uh, you, a lot of that would be reconnecting and them feeling proud of you now, eh? Yeah. So my, my immediate family, they're all in Australia. Oh, yes, all of my immediate Did, family. Oh. Yes, all of them. Yeah, mum, dad, all my brothers and sisters are all over there. But my, um, but yeah, they're very proud, bro, of uh, sort of become more closer to my dad and my mum, and I just, you know, always, always tell them like, oh, I just want to make you proud, you know, I just want to make you proud that. Oh shit! <laughs> Don't want to get all teary, but um, yeah, five and a half years, bro. Is, uh, that's a that's a that's a long time. It's a long time to yeah take away that um that time for my family. So mm. yeah, this road to redemption is just you know I'm gonna make them all proud, but mm. not just my immediate family, but. Want to impact our whole culture, mm. impact and inspire and empower them to through sharing my journey, but not just sharing my journey on a upskill and get get the get the skills I need to gain, qualifications I need to gain, and uh, roll out some programs, going to schools, going to juvies, going to jails, and just speak my truth, but also help them realize their truth and you know not follow this this path that. It's only been, uh, I guess, taught to us through like the generations, like mum and dad, and that. Yeah, you got to go to church, and 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 you got to believe in God, and you got to go according to these values. No, you, you don't. And that's why I do believe, feel like, if we can just briefly touch on that, that yeah, our our culture, especially Tongans, I can only speak from that. Um, Sort of experience because that's all I've kind of experienced, but it's common with other Hollanders that I speak about is that our people, I believe, we're in a we're in a bit of bit of a rut uh, when it comes to statistics for suicide. You know, our people are not just killing themselves at a young age; we're eating ourselves to death. Uh, we're going to prison and re-imprisoning ourselves. Uh, with teenage pregnancies are very young, and then death. Like if we're talking about just those five mm. things. Mm. And then, but yet, as a culture, we put Tongans, we put God, the church, then the family. Mm. Um, surely, like, <laughs> you're like, come on, all right. So, if our core beliefs and values and principles and the way we, we do do things in life is going according to that hierarchy, mm. surely you got a question like, what are they teaching at the top? If this is the facts, if these are the stats, mm. you know? Mm. <laughs> so, I do believe. The foundations are very flimsy or rocky that we need to rethink that mm. as a whole. Not just because you're older, you know, right. Just because I'm older, you listen to me, shut up, you sit there. Mm. That plays a factor. Eat everything on your plate. And that That's uh, um, the whole thing around. That's what I'm trying to do too, is to encourage people to work out what they stand for um, and question authority when it's um, harmful because because if we're taught I was similar eh? I was taught not to mm. and so by the time I got older I, I really had difficulty challenging adults 
or anybody who was older than me, you know. Um, and if that's a part of what we keep perpetuating as far Samoa, the Samoan way of doing things, it needs to be challenged because a lot of the tension that I find with, with people, Pacifica people that I work with therapeutically, is the voice of the critical parent that's in their head and the wanting with all their heart to please their parents but also wanting to do stuff differently. Yeah. And the tension that the parents have of them to do things in it. Um, and the way that sometimes that authority gets is a manipulation. Because, like, bro, um, and this is what I want to say too, I'll never be a, 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 a traditional matua. I don't have that standing or desire or understanding but mm. I know Matua who who, um, who do, and and it's like anywhere, they're either loving and caring, or they're mean spirited, and have unresolved mm. stuff going on for them, and so they're generally living out of manipulation and fear, and you know you, you can wrap up a great um, way of, I mean religious people do that, but you don't have to be religious to do that. No. But you can use religion for um, nefarious ends, and so I see that in there. In, in, in well, I see that across cultures, you know. So it's a way of being. There's this guy who says, "Bro, he says um, <clears throat> one of the biggest problems we have is that our way of being is different um, to the truth of being." Conflict. Conflict. Yeah. So you've integrated, you've come right back to your way of being about the truth of who you are. Yeah. The truth of who you are and the, and the way you want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's pretty much why people go backwards and forwards. Because their core belief is still being hijacked. Mm. That I'm not good enough. Yeah. But you are. Because you talked about this to me the other day around the, um, how we're created in the image of God. Yes. I what is that? that I, yeah. I love that from the scripture. I'm not. I, I, to make yes, clear, I'm not a, a Christian person. I'm not a religious person. I do have a uh, spiritual one-on-one connection with my Creator. Call it God. Call it Allah. Call it whoever you want to call it. But that scripture I love from the Bible. Yeah, we're made in His image. Bro, we're made in this image. We are gods. We are creators. Powerful, bro. We are made in this image. But until people realize that and are not sort of programmed in the church to, nah, if you don't do it this way, that's just that's a power and control out of fear. Like puppeteers, you're just controlling them out of fear, read from the scriptures, bro. But that's the whole blessing of being a human. To, the ability to be free, bro. Create, do whatever you want in this life. Autonomous, bro. That word, autonomy. Mm-hmm. Be autonomous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, I, I believe, this is my own, only opinion, I've kind of based it off facts. It's like our people are like trapped, bro. Mentally trapped, physically trapped, spiritually trapped. But yet we still follow those tra- traditions and customs, you know? But, you know, the truth, like we said the other day, the truth will set them free. Mm. But then it comes to, like, how do you, how do you change a whole culture? You gotta, 
That's the big question. I decided that I would work on me and my who's around me. And um, and I never knew, and I'm sometimes surprised that I do what I do in the Pacifica space. Because I would have thought of myself as the least likely to be working in this space, given how marginalised um, we grew up and, and a lot of my generation, first generation New Zealand more, uh, identity, trying to work out how to work fit in that, that space. Yeah. But I came to the conclusion too that, um, well, gosh, if I'm created in the image of God, man, God likes God, mm. so God must like me. Mm. Hey, 100%. So, so if God likes me, man, that's a pretty big, it's a pretty big um, thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. To just and be, be yourself. Just to be, just to be, and that thing around acceptance, not performance. Mm. And 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 um, that was a big thing that I had to work through. It's it's not also not being a people pleaser because sometimes that happens when people become kind of compliant. You know, peacemaker. Being a peacemaker in my heart does not mean that I have my, I'm, I'm going to be agreeable. Yeah, but it means I'm going to be kind, in what where I stand. Yeah, um, but it doesn't mean I'm going to, because uh, doesn't mean that I expect anybody to bow down to me because I'm not going to be, be bowing down to tradition. No. Hey. Oh, you can hear the you can sort of hear the. Oh, 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 excuse me. <laughs> but this generation, the millennial generation, your generation needs needs a, a, that um, that freedom is what we're put on earth to experience. Hey, that's it, bro. Not the mental prisons that we get caught up in. That was the other thing. Shall we finish here? And I'll, I'll, yes, bro. You can give the, the last word. <coughs> The, um, the idea that um, you can be in a family and still not feel you belong. Mm, only. Only, yeah. And so you're doing things only out of obligation, but your sense of belonging isn't there. That's quite common. Yes, hey. yes. And, and, and so we can talk more about this next time, bro. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, yeah, because a big part of what I, I want to be communicating in the work that I do, maybe that I do is, where is that sense of belonging? You know, where are you getting it? Because the other side of it is to be isolated or cut off or feel no one understands. Therefore, I'm abandoned and I'm not good enough. Mm. You know, but we are. We are, bro. Yeah, we are good enough. Yes. We're destined for so much more yeah. and some. And that thing that we were talking about the other day, and some. And some. Um, and I do not believe it. When I came to the, the belief that I stopped believing in internal torment, I thought, I can't marry that up with God. And then that God doesn't stop looking at me in terms of, uh, is my shirt mm. wrinkle-free? Yeah. He looks at me in, in, my, in my better moments and in my not-so-good moments, and he still says the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't get condemned in God's gaze, eh? Yes. We're not, yeah, not from a... We're not here to judging. condemn you. Judging, judging. God. Nah. 
So, so I feel uh, quite free in that sense. Eh? Mm, but, bro, when we started, just before we started, you said some uh, how you started your day. Yes. So I think that's a good way that we should leave this. Yeah. Finish on, finish on how I start my day. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a very structured person. You know, uh, routine is important to me. And so, yeah, get up, get up early. But obviously now I don't need that lunch clock. So, this is Phil again. Um, what happened there was Mark was saying some fantastic things, and the recorder that I'm using just dropped off. So, he was talking about how he starts his day, and he does it with real intention. And it includes naming and thinking about three things that he's grateful for, and then prioritizing the top of his list of things that he really wants to achieve in that day. Um, so that's a routine that he's created for himself. I'm really excited about uh, where he's going. going. Because at the beginning of this, uh, I knew that he had been through, you know, for someone as young as he is, some real fires trials and tribulations as we say and he's, he's come out through many of them uh, to build a new life so aptly named his journey the road to redemption and he does it in a way that uh, he has humility and, and uh, really cares about others which to me is the key so a big big thank you to Mark Talanoa and I look forward to having more conversations with him and I wish you listener a, a, a week that's full of the kind of surprises that you actually want okay much love